book of the Bible. And as a way of reminder, we've been looking at the events that are increasingly taking us to the cross. We began in earnest, I think, when we were looking at the Lord's Supper, the inauguration of the Lord's Supper. And then as Jesus began the very specific task of preparing His disciples for His imminent departure, as He walked with them along the roadside and taught them and prepared them, as He's gone and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane alone while they slept. And as we looked at last week, as Jesus is praying and preparing Himself for the cross, which is just hours away, His time of solitude, His time of prayer is interrupted by those that have come to arrest Him. The Roman cohort, the temple police, some of the religious leadership led to Jesus by none other than Judas himself. And in this encounter, Jesus willingly gives himself to these sinful and evil men who desire to take his life from him. And it should be a reminder to us that Jesus was not surprised. He was not caught off guard. He wasn't put into a corner, but he willingly accepted His role in God's eternal plan of redemption. And that is His going to the cross in our place. So as we continue to go through this narrative, if you will, Jesus is going to be taken to Jerusalem where He will begin to experience the very unjust trial that is going to come His way. In our passage of Scripture today, it's going to be divided into four different acts. And in these acts, we're going to be reminded about the seriousness that exists within the human nature of man that we are to continually recognize in ourselves to nail to the cross as a symbol of our death to our old way of living as we turn towards the cross and do our very best to live our lives for Him. So these four acts will be divided between Peter's denial and the trial, the trial by Annas, which is all we'll be able to look at today. So we'll look at John chapter 18. Our focus will be verses 12 through 27. It's a fairly lengthy passage of Scripture, but we'll read it in its entirety. Beginning in verse 12. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound Him and led Him to Annas first, for He was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. And the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world, I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? 
And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 25, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You are not also one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. So again, we'll look at this in four acts. The first act that we're going to look at is Jesus' trial. So this is act one of Jesus' trial. John doesn't record this, but after Jesus' formal arrest, the disciples scatter. We read in Matthew 26, 56, Jesus saying, but all this has taken place to fulfill the Scriptures of the prophets, that is, His arrest, His being turned over to sinful man, His eventual crucifixion. Then all the disciples left Him and fled. So the first thing that we see that relates to the human nature that you and I so deeply struggle with is human nature's hard-heartedness. Now thinking back to what we looked at last week, when the Roman cohort and the officers of the temple came to seize Jesus, Jesus said to them, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said, do you remember? I am. That Greek phrase, ego am I, which is the Jewish translation of I am. I am the I am. I am the Yahweh of the nation of Israel. I am He. When He said that, I am, the Roman cohort and the officers of the temple immediately fell backwards at the powers, power of Jesus simply declaring that He was the I Am. He asked them a second time, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And He said, I am He. So human nature's hard-heartedness is found in the arrest. Jesus has been formally arrested by the Romans or the Gentiles and by the religious leaders affected by the temple police that are there on behalf of the religious leadership. Now, Jesus has performed in the midst of this group of people two miracles. One is, which I've just told you, that He spoke, I am, and they fell down. Secondly, when Peter rashly lunged forward and took his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant or one of the, one of the office, temple officers, Jesus immediately stooped down and picked the ear up off the ground and put it back to his head and healed him. All of these individuals had seen this miracle performed by Jesus in the healing of Malchus. They also experienced for themselves the falling on the ground with no earthquake, with no thunderbolt of lightning, no scary angel appearing out of the sky, only Jesus' declaration I am. So this hard-heartedness that we see here in the arrest is the simple refusal to acknowledge that Jesus is who He says He is. You know, it's surprising to me in many respects that you can have these individuals who grow up in church. They've heard the Gospel of Christ shared over and over. They know the truths about the Bible. 
They have an intellectual understanding that Jesus is the Son of God, that He did actually die on the cross, that He did ascend back into heaven. But I don't want any part of that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And that is the hard-heartedness that exists within the human nature that you and I so desperately struggle with. You know, the Bible is replete with the encouragement to break the fallow ground in our hearts, to break our stiff necks and acknowledge who He is. It is to die to self and to live for Him. But because of our hard-heartedness, we have this intrinsic desire and compulsion to rebel against those things that we know are true and we actually know what are good for us. And so these sinful men who have experienced these miracles proceed with the arrest. They bind Him because their hearts are hardened and they are controlled by Satan. We read in verse 12, So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound Him and led Him to Annas first, for He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who is high priest this year. So the Roman cohort, as a reminder, this large group of anywhere from 600 to 1,000 Roman soldiers who are dispatched to the city of Jerusalem for the Passover feast in order to keep peace within the city. They are there, as are the temple police who are raised in the ways of Judaism and officers of the Jews, high-ranking officials, and all of them are there to participate in the arrest of Jesus, and now he is being taken to Annas. They led him to the house of Annas for what was going to be a preliminary hearing. Now, this is only recorded by John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not record this encounter with Annas. It is the first of three phases in Jesus' trial, but John chooses only to record this first phase. Phase 2 is recorded in Matthew, and we'll look at that in more detail next week, as is phase 3, which is the actual sentencing of Jesus at the conclusion of the trial. So here's a little bit of background about Annas, the former high priest. Excuse me, Annas was the former high priest. The high priest had a lifelong appointment, and this began all the way back with Aaron, who was the first high priest. And so if you were appointed high priest in the nation of Israel, you held that position for life. But because the, because the city of Jerusalem was occupied by the Romans, and because all of Palestine was held captive by the Romans, they began to choose for themselves who the high priest was going to be. They often did that so that they would have somebody who was the religious leader over the Jews, who would be friendly towards the Romans, and would likely make compromises that would benefit the Romans. So from 37 B.C. to 67 A.D., which is when Rome occupied the region of Palestine, there were at least 28 different high priests, when ordinarily there would only be one or two or maybe three if somebody was appointed and then quickly died. So Annas was the high priest, From A.D. 6 to A.D. 15, he was appointed by Valerius Gratus, who was the predecessor of Pilate, and he replaced Annas with Caiaphas. But Annas was still very, very powerful 
and most Jews considered him to be the legitimate high priest because he was appointed and they understood that it was a lifetime appointment. But what made Annas so powerful was this. He had five of his children and one of his grandchildren who were also appointed as high priests. So he was the patriarch of a long line of high priests and he is now the father-in-law of the sitting high priest who is Caiaphas. Caiaphas, and most understand that Caiaphas was simply a puppet ruler and that Annas was the true legitimate high priest that ruled over the nation of Israel religiously even though he didn't have that particular and authentic designation. So Annas is the real power behind the position of the high priest, and this is why they have brought Jesus to Annas first. Not because he was the closest or it was along the way, but because he is, in fact, the true power behind the position. Now, it's been said about Annas by historians that he was incredibly ambitious And he was also very, very greedy. Now, this would make sense if you think about the fact that the Romans got to choose who the high priest was. And by the way, hundreds and hundreds of years later, in the Middle Ages, when the church and the state were merged together, the state then began to choose who the Pope would be. And the Pope sometimes wasn't as devoted as he ought to be. And sometimes the Pope would do things that were favorable to the state, and this created great difficulty within the church. The same thing is happening here, where the Romans are appointing the high priest over the nation of Israel, and there is some compromise that is assumed in that. So Annas is very, very ambitious. He's very, very greedy. He's given a lot of latitude in how he wants to rule over the nation of Israel. And so Annas would often benefit from the proceeds of the concessions at the temple. So if you remember, the nation of Israel had three major feasts and all Jews were ordered to come to Jerusalem to worship. And when they got there, they had to buy animals. They had to buy things for sacrifice. They had to exchange money from wherever they came from to the Jewish coin so they could offer their tax and pay them the way they're supposed to. And all of this transaction, which took place in the temple, Annas was getting a cut of. It is also said that he was getting a cut of what the tax collectors would receive from the people. So when Jesus went into the temple, and according to the gospel accounts, overturned the tables of the money changers, how do you think Annas thought of that act by Jesus? Probably not too kindly. And what did Jesus say? You've turned my father's house into a place of business. So it came to be known, the temple, the outer courts, where people would come and buy the things they needed for worship, it came to be known as the Bazaar of Annas, or Annas's Flea Market, or Annas's Supercenter. Everything that was sold, he got, a cu- he got a cut of. So this was not going to sit very well with Annas when Jesus came in and upset the place of business. But this is an idea of who Annas is. Now, the second part that we see here in the human nature that we struggle with is human nature's selfishness. Look with me in verse 14. Now, Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews 
that it was expedient for the one man, excuse me, expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. And so human nature's selfishness is going to lead us into self-preservation. You know, sometimes when we feel cornered, we will do what we have to do to protect ourselves. We might say some things that aren't entirely true. We might do some things that aren't entirely honest. We might avoid some places that we think we might get smacked. And so there is this self-preservation that is intrinsic in the human nature that we struggle with that will protect ourselves at all costs. This is why in many parts of the world where there is hostility towards Christianity, Christians are asked to recant their faith because their enemies believe that because of this desire for self-preservation that they will in fact deny that they know Christ and they will then have their lives spared. I would imagine that there are many, many of these executioners that are surprised that these committed Christians will die before they will think about preserving themselves. But this human nature struggle that we have with self-preservation is expressed specifically by Caiaphas, but it is also built into the entire religious leadership structure which really sits at the feet of Annas. So John takes the opportunity to remind his readers of who Caiaphas is. So not only is he the current high priest, but John is going to remind us of what Caiaphas actually said all the way back in John chapter 11. He was the one who recommended that it would be good for the nation of Israel for this one man to die, i.e. Jesus, as opposed to the Romans coming in and disrupting their way of life and perhaps taking their religious freedoms away from them. So as a reminder, in John chapter 11, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Now you've got to think about the kind of excitement that was produced by Lazarus being raised from the dead. And it wasn't like something fell on his head and he hit the dirt and he just jumped back up. Remember, he was in the tomb how long? Four days. And what happens after four days of being buried in a tomb? You start to smell. So there was absolutely no doubt that Lazarus was actually dead. And Jesus comes and calls Lazarus forth from his burial place. And out he comes wrapped in his grave clothing. And so when the people saw this, they began to flock towards Jesus like they hadn't in a very, very long time. And it tells us here in John chapter 11, 45 and 46, Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what He had done, believed in Him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. They tattled. They ran to the religious leadership and they told what Jesus had just done and how everybody was going to believe in Him. And it was at this moment that they convened an official meeting, if you will. It's not a trial, but that's probably what they intended for it to be. And it is at this meeting that they debate exactly what they're going to do. And Caiaphas utters the words, it would be expedient for one man to die and save the nation of Israel. So in an effort of self-preservation, 
And because of the hard-heartedness that exists and denying the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, they have defiantly put in place a plan to kill Jesus. You know, it's really interesting that in all of the accounts in the Gospel of John, they could never deny the reality of the miracle Jesus performed. They simply discredited it because it was on a Sabbath or it wasn't done the right way or he didn't have official approval to do that. They could never deny the fact that Jesus actually perform these miracles, and it is in that hardness of heart that they continue to deny the reality of who He is. So Jesus is now in custody, and He's having this preliminary hearing with Annas, and the scene shifts to Peter. So this is number two in our outline. It's Peter's denial, Act 1. So despite Peter's heroic effort in severing off the ear of Malchus in an attempt to defeat whatever portion of the Roman cohort was there, and whatever the number of officers of the temple were there, Peter believed that he and this other ragtag group of 11 disciples were going to defeat them. Well, good luck with that. So he jumps out, he cuts off the ear, yet he fled after Jesus' arrest and being bound with all of the other disciples. He's regained his composure now, and we see the third part, in our human nature struggle, and that is human nature's fearfulness. When you are afraid of what life is throwing at you, don't let the enemy beat you up over that. It is your human nature to be afraid, but it is your spiritual nature to trust the Lord. So we are going to have this natural tendency to be fearful when we are facing great difficulty in our life, but we're not to live in that fear. We are to appropriate the truth about who we are in Christ, and we are to apply spiritual principle to our life. Let's read together verse 15. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. So we see the fearfulness that exists in Peter's heart because he's following at a distance. So it tells us here in verse 15 that another disciple was with Peter, and it is almost universally believed that any time John references the disciple that Jesus loved or another disciple, he's referring to himself. So what we have here is we have Peter and John who are apparently fairly close together. And John goes into the courtyard of the high priest and yet Peter is remaining back at what he considers to be a fairly safe distance. Now, apparently John is known by the high priest and by the high priest's servants, although we're not told why. The logical conclusion is is that John's father's fishing business is pretty big and they would often deliver fish or fish product to the high priest's household. So it's very likely that John is known for this reason. And so John has entered into the courtyard. He's gained entrance by the doorkeeper and Peter is waiting back at a safe distance. So when Peter finally arrives, John sees him and John goes to the doorkeeper and says, Let him in. He's with me. So John secures entrance for Peter. And verse 16 says, But Peter was standing at the door outside. 
So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Now this is going to begin to introduce us to the fourth aspect of our human nature, and that is human nature's unfaithfulness. So Peter's been afraid. He's in the courtyard of the high priest. And now we read in verse 17, Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of these man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Peter is recognized and he denies. He's afraid about what might happen to him, which is one of the reasons why he and the other disciples fled upon Jesus' arrest. And now in the courtyard of the high priest, when identified as a probable follower of Christ, he absolutely denies that he is. This recognition by the slave girl has shocked Peter, and he considers this to be incredibly dangerous. Now, I don't know what kind of a bubble Peter might have lived in, but he was known as the spokesman for the twelve. He was in the inner circle of James and Peter and John. He was bold and brash. I don't know how he could have entered into the high priest's palace courtyard area and think that he could be anonymous. He is recognized, and here he denies, and this is the first of his denials. This denial seems necessary to Peter, since John and Peter are not alone in the courtyard of the high priest. We read in verse 18, now the slaves and the officers, these are the officers of the temple police, the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. So John was widely known as a disciple of Jesus. And it was probably assumed, and rightfully so, that Peter was also a disciple of Jesus since he was such a close friend of John. But John doesn't possess the same fear that Peter does. And for John, being in the high priest's courtyard doesn't appear to be a concern for him as it is for Peter. So Peter has moved across the courtyard. He's now around the fire where some of the servants and some of the officers of the temple are, and he's warming himself by the fire. He believes he's in a vulnerable position, and now this scene shifts back to Jesus and his confrontation with Annas. And so this takes us to Jesus' trial, Act 2. John introduces us to the proceedings in verse 19 with this. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. So as we begin to look now at this preliminary hearing that is taking place in the palace of the high priest by Annas, we're going to see number five in our exploration of the sinful nature, excuse me, of, of the human nature of man, is human nature's sinfulness. This trial before Annas is really a sham. Jesus' fate had already been determined, and when we go back and look at what took place in John chapter 11, after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead and the Pharisees get a report about people believing him and what Jesus has actually done, here's what we read, verses 47 through 50 and verse 53. Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing for this man is performing many signs? If we let him go on like this, 
All men will believe in Him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You can see their fear. You can see their self-preservation. And you can see how out of that flows the sinfulness that we explore in this trial. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. What is Caiaphas' conclusion based upon all the discussion that they've had? It's very, very simple. They're going to kill Jesus. Verse 53 says, So from that day on, they planned together to kill Him. So Jesus is on trial before Annas, and rather than bringing charges against Him and producing evidence to substantiate the reason for this hearing, as is customary and is required in a legal proceeding, the Jewish leadership is going to continue with this illegal trial. I clicked early, so you got a head start. There are at least five trial irregularities that we can note here, and this is why we can say without any doubt that this trial is actually a sham. The first one is this, number one, it is a self-incriminating trial. So Annas' attempt to get Jesus to incriminate himself when he says, tell us about your disciples and about your teaching, it's a violation of Jewish law, just as it is in the United States today. You've heard of the Fifth Amendment, right? You cannot be coerced into giving testimony about yourself that might incriminate yourself. This is why America is known to have a Judeo-Christian law or the Mosaic law. This is where it comes from. In the Jewish legal setting... If there were no witnesses to testify against you, you could not have a trial. You had to have charges and you had to have witnesses. So under Jewish law, a defendant was not required to admit any guilt or to testify about himself or against himself. The second irregularity that we can see in this trial is number two, it is a night trial. Now, you've got to remember that they were in the upper room where Jesus washed their feet, had the Lord's Supper, and then he went through the lengthy farewell discourse, part of which was in the room and part of which was on the way. They spent some time in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Passover meal begins at sunset. So this has to be at least 12 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning. And so they have hastily assembled a court at night But according to Jewish law, it is illegal to try a case at night. All trials had to be tried in the daytime. You know the reason for that? It avoids a hasty trial without the ability to gather the facts and the witnesses and to have a fair trial because after all, the individual is presumed to be innocent unless proven guilty. Well, when you throw together a trial very quickly and very hastily, you lose the assumption that the individual is innocent. Instead, you jump to the conclusion that he is guilty, and so there's no need to proceed with the normal course of action. Number three, the third irregularity we can see here, is that it is a home trial. Now, this is being held at the palace of the high priest, which is 
Annas' home. By the way, Caiaphas is not living there. Annas is. So it's not in the official court. It's not in a location where you are to have Jewish trial. This makes it an illegal trial. All cases had to be tried in an official court setting. You would never wander down the street on Lincoln Highway or on 82 and see a judge out there with a makeshift jury holding any kind of court. Why would why not? Because it has to take place in an official legal setting, a court of law. So this is another indication that this is a sham trial. Number four, it is a Passover trial. Jesus was being tried during the Passover week, but no cases were allowed to be tried during the week of Passover. So Passover didn't, didn't just start that day. Passover week began earlier in the week at the triumphal entry when Jesus was making His way into Jerusalem amongst all the fanfare of all the people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna! And they're laying palm branches on the ground. But here they are nonetheless having a Passover trial which was illegal according to Jewish law. We'll also see this irregularity expressed in the second phase of the trial that we'll look at next week from the Gospel of Matthew. The fifth irregularity we see in this trial is very simply the predetermined trial. You can actually go back to as early as John chapter 5 where it says that the Jews were seeking an opportunity to seize him and that opportunity to seize him was for the purpose of trying him and sentencing him to death as a blasphemer. So this trial already has a predetermined ending to it, and that is spoken by the words of Caiaphas himself. That is, it is expedient for one man to die in order to save the nation. So everything about this trial before Annas is illegal, and Jesus knows this, and his verse is going to expose the reality that he knows this. They haven't pronounced charges against him. They don't have witnesses to testify against him. Annas has simply questioned him about his disciples and about his teaching. And here is Jesus' response in verse 20. Jesus answered him and said, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. So one thing you'll notice here is that Jesus does not mention his disciples at all. They are not a part of this. This is about him and the religious leaders. It's not about the disciples. It's about this predetermined plan that Jesus go to the cross at the hands of sinful men but Jesus deflects the question away from the disciples and simply takes the responsibility for holding Annas accountable to the Jewish law that he, he knew so well. So Jesus didn't teach one thing in public and a different thing in private. His teaching hasn't been secretive and it hasn't been mixed. You know, you can listen to somebody who leads a cult to what they say publicly, and then you get secret tape recordings of what they say privately, and boy, it's a totally different game, right? Jesus said the same thing in a public setting as he did in a private setting. What he would teach in public, he would go back with his disciples, and in private, he would explain to them what he meant, or they would ask questions, and he would unpack it even more deeply. 
But the message was the same. Who He was, how much man needs Him, and what He has come to do. That's really what the message centered on. But all of this has been consistent, open and publicly in the synagogue, on the open fields, example, Mount of Olivet, and other places. So His teaching has taken place for all to hear. And so Jesus says in in verse 21, Why do you question Me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. So what Jesus is saying is, I want you to fulfill the requirement of a Jewish legal proceeding. In other words, he is saying, produce witnesses for legal testimony who will verify the accusations that you have that you have not even expressed in this illegal hearing. If you have questions about my about my teaching, I'm not going to testify about myself. I don't have to do that. You go find the people that I taught, and they can come in and tell you exactly what it is that I have said. So when Jesus responds this way, He has unmasked Annas' hypocrisy, and this is not lost on those who are hearing Jesus say those things. Now, this trial is not taking place between Jesus and just Annas, there is a group there. And we see in verse 22, when Jesus had said this, one of the officers, uh, officer of the temple guard, standing nearby and struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? The officer that strikes Jesus is basically saying, how dare you hold the high priest accountable How dare you try to embarrass him by asking this kind of a question? He doesn't have to do what you think he should do. He doesn't have to do what you want him to do. He has the ability and the privilege to do whatever he wants to do because he's the high priest. Let's just throw out the Jewish legal system and let this guy do whatever he wants to do as a rogue high priest because that's the way we've been doing it for a very, very long time. So when the officer strikes Jesus, it's illegal to strike a prisoner. And here's Jesus, not even accused of anything, being struck in the home of the high priest by one of his officers simply because he is challenging Annas to abide by the Jewish legal system and bring in accusers and those who will testify against him. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? His logic is undeniable. What Jesus is saying is this. If I am wrong about our legal system and a proper legal procedure, correct me. But if I'm not wrong, then why are you hitting me? It'd be the same thing in a court of law when one attorney objects to something that the other attorney says and the judge chimes in and says, objection sustained or objection overruled. Jesus is saying, if I have interpreted this wrong, object and correct me. Otherwise, why are you hitting me? So Jesus has simply requested a fair trial which his opponents had no intention of giving to him. Why? because the outcome has already been predetermined. So realizing that he was getting nowhere with this questioning of Jesus, Annas was done with him. And it says in verse 24, So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now it's at this point that John doesn't continue the discussion 
of the trial that Jesus will have with Caiaphas. We'll look at that next week. But John picks back up with Peter in the courtyard, and this is now Peter's denial, Act 2. So we've seen the trial, Act 1 and 2, with Jesus before Annas. We've seen Peter's denial, Act 1, and now we'll look at the conclusion of this in Peter's denial, Act 2. So again, Peter's warming himself around the fire while Jesus is in there getting grilled by Annas, getting struck by the officer. And it says in the first part of verse 25, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You're not one of his disciples, are you? And this brings us back to our exploration of human nature, and that's number six, human nature's weakness. It isn't clear who the they refers to here. It could have been some of the servants. It could have been some of the officers of the temple. We get a little bit of an indication here in just a second. But Peter has a chance here to redeem himself, to be bold, to be strong, to take a stand for Christ, to acknowledge that, yes, in fact, I am one of his disciples. But we read at the end of verse 25, he denied it and said, I am not. And so we see Peter's repeated denials that he is not a disciple, that he is not a follower. Verse 26, one of the slaves of the priest being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Which indicates that at least somebody around this fire was more than likely one of the officers of the temple who saw his cousin or his brother-in-law, or somebody in his family, get his ear cut off by this man, and Peter very simply says, I don't know what you're talking about. John adds that little detail, which is a good indication that he was there and that this relative had witnessed this himself. It wasn't a crime to be a disciple of Jesus yet, but it was a crime to assault somebody by cutting off their ear with a sword. And so it's very likely that Peter is panic-stricken because he is now known to be the guy that cut off the ear of the high priest servant, or officer Malchus. And it says in verse 27, Peter then denied it again, the third denial, and immediately what happened? The rooster crowed. Now that does two things. One, it gives us kind of a time stamp, which means it's probably very, very close to daybreak which means the trial and the warming in the courtyard has probably gone on for many, many hours, several hours at least. But it's also a reminder of what Jesus said to Peter after he made this declaration that I will die with you even if all others fade away, I and I alone will remain faithful. And Jesus said to him in John 13, 38, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Now, when Peter heard that, I'm quite certain that it was a very chilling prediction that such a thing could ever be true, that he would deny Jesus three times. But how much more chilling would it be that this Prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled less than 12 hours after he gave it. Peter was so confident in his faith 
declaring his allegiance to Christ even if everybody else dies, I will die with you. And here, just a few hours later, he is denied that he even knows Jesus and is a follower of Jesus three times. And he hears the rooster crow. Now, John does not record this for us, but Luke does. And we read in Luke 22, 61 and 62, The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This exchange has been depicted in many, many different movies that give a chronology of the life of Christ in this whole event that takes place. We don't know the actual setting, but here's what we do know. Wherever Jesus was in Annas' house, he was able to lock eyes with Peter when they heard the rooster crow, and he looked him square in the eye, and it pierced Peter to the very depth of his heart. So Peter runs out of the courtyard filled with grief and shame and fear and guilt. It is the worst morning of Peter's life. He is denied being a disciple and denied even knowing who Jesus is. And so it's easy for us to stand in judgment of Peter. But how different is our private Christian life from this denial of who Christ is? We may not publicly deny Him when asked if we are a disciple, but are we publicly living for Him? Are we standing for His truth? Are we telling others about Him? Or do we sit silent and let this lost world go to hell without a care, believing that God in His sovereignty will work this out as He sees fit? You see, Peter did the unthinkable. He verbalized that he didn't know Jesus. He verbalized that he was not a disciple. You and I may never do that, but you know what? When we don't live for Christ in the way that we know we should, we're denying we know Him just the same. Is that unthinkable? Is that unconscionable? Is that excusable? You see, when we remember that Jesus died on the cross, died on the cross in our place, taking upon him our punishment, paying our consequence, our response ought to be to live for him, whatever the cost. But because you and I have this ongoing struggle with our human nature, we fail more times than we succeed. Would you pray with me? Father, I give you thanks that you are a merciful and a gracious and a forgiving God. Father, we know that you never expect us to live a perfect Christian life. But God, I pray that we would never be content with living a marginal, mediocre Christian life. As we consider who you are and what you've done for us, I pray that you would continually teach us how 
to wrestle with the truth that you did for us what only you could do in paying our penalty and making us righteous before the Father's eyes. God, I pray that you would grow within our hearts a desire to live for you, to shut ourselves of our fear and our unfaithfulness and our hard-heartedness, and that we would just be in awe over what you've done for us through Christ. God, I thank you that at every point we fail, you forgive. I thank you that at every point we are faithful, you encourage. God, I pray that the light you have given to us would shine brightly and boldly in the world around us so that others would know the truth and be set free. God, we thank you that you are so good and so faithful. We pray that you would find within us a growing desire to live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.